I was noticing the baptism up there and Brother Chris baptizing a young lady and he stated that she had given her heart to Christ. Now, what in the world does it mean to give your heart to Christ? I mean, we throw those words around. What exactly does it mean to give your heart to Christ? Well, true salvation and giving your heart to Christ, being born again, it requires this. It is you giving up your right to yourself. See, we're a selfish and self-centered people. We live for ourselves. We love ourselves. If it feels good, do it. Whatever we want to do, we make our own decision about what we think is right and wrong. But when you become a Christian, you give that up. You turn away from yourself. You turn away from your sin. And you actually give the right to yourself to God. In the Bible calls it being a bondservant unto God. Paul said, I don't even own my life anymore. See, not many people will say, I, I don't want to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But very few people are willing to give up the right to themselves to God. Most people are willing to come forward and pray the sinner's prayer, get dunked in some water and, and say, I'm a Christian. But most people are not will, willing to give up what they want to do with their lives and let God direct them. That's why so many, so few people are really born again. Now, I'm 68 years old. I have my wife here, my college sweetheart. We've been married 42 years. That's pretty good, isn't it? And I'm concerned about the American church. I'm concerned that so many people in our churches today have a form of religion, but don't have the power of God in their life. They've been walked an aisle, they've been baptized, galvanized, soldered, and welded, but they've never been born of the Spirit of God. And the way you can tell is when they leave the church, they go out there and live like everybody else. That's not true salvation. When I was 12 years old, I came off the back row over here, me and my buddy. We came on a revival night, Thursday night. We came forward in the invitation time. Preacher took me right here. He said, God bless you, William. I'm glad you come. They set me on the front row. A lady came over and filled out a card, got my name and address. The church voted on me. They took me in a baptistry. They baptized me in some water. But nobody explained how to count the cost of salvation. Nobody explained repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer. I got dunked in some water, but I did not meet God. And so therefore, when I left that church, I lived a long time without God. I went off to college. I drank. I partied. I lived like the devil. Uh, never went to church. Didn't own a Bible. Didn't read the Bible. But had you come to me during those days and said, William, are you a Christian? I'd say, well, sure, I'm a Christian. When I was 12, I went forward and prayed that sinner's prayer and got baptized, but I didn't know God. Finally, when I was 36 years old, a man sat me down with the Bible and he said, William, you know about God, but you don't know God. And I reached a point in my life where I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was weary of being weary. I came face to face with who I was, a rebel against God. A selfish, self-centered rebel and an, uh, an anarchist against the government of God. And I got on my knees and said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I gave up my right to myself. I turned away from my sin. I gave my life to Christ and I took him as Lord and Savior and God. And I'm telling you, when I stood up, I was a different man. God did a supernatural work. 
And I'm concerned that most people have never had that supernatural encounter with God. And so today's a special day, and I want to encourage you to open your ears and open your heart. Let God speak to you, because being truly saved is without a doubt the most important thing in your life. And when I say saved, fellows, I'm not talking about being saved the Baptist way, or the Methodist way, or the Catholic way, or the way somebody told you on television. I'm talking about being saved God's way. You see, there's only one way to be saved, and that's God's way. And so I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you just to open your minds, open your heart, do what the Bible says. Examine yourself, make your calling and election sure. Amen? If you have your Bibles, take them, please, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22, verse 9. When you find your places, just join me in standing as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 22, verse 9. I'm going to read about six verses here. Follow along with me. Matthew 22, verse 9. It says, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highway and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king came in to see the guest. He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him out, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, God, for your salvation that can literally transform a man's life. I pray, God, for your spirit to fill this room right now. I pray right now, God, for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every teenager, dear God, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, I pray, God, you'll speak to them. I pray, God, that, uh, that your spirit will descend with such power that you'll capture the attention, the imagination of every person here. And I pray, God, you'll convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Do what only you can do, God. Save a soul, change a life. We pray this for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, one of the saddest and most disappointing things in all the world is to have a hope for something And that hope not work out. I mean, to really believe something's going to happen, to believe you're going somewhere, you're going to receive something, to hope for it, to think about it, to desire it, and then at the last moment, for it to fall through. That's very disappointing, very discouraging to have a hope and it be a false hope. Now, these verses I've just read to you are such a story. It's about a man that goes to a wedding, but he, when the king comes in, the king says he doesn't have on a wedding garment. He's not ready, so he's bound hand and foot. He's dragged out into outer darkness. Now, this is a symbolic story about heaven. So here's a man who goes to the, to the wedding. He thinks he's going to be accepted, but when he gets there, he finds out he's not really prepared. This is about having a hope for heaven and that hope not being real. Now, I've preached for 30 years. I preached over a thousand revivals. And I'm here to tell you, I believe in America that the vast majority of people in our churches today do not have a wedding garment. 
They're not really prepared to meet God. You say, well, how many do you think? I think maybe 95%. I mean, our churches in America are filled up with people who have a form of religion. They want to go to heaven, but they've never had that supernatural conversion. Now, how does this happen? How do people get deceived about salvation? And is it right for us to examine that? Is it right for us to take a look at that? My friend, listen to me. There's a real battle for your soul going on. It is a battle between God and Satan. And Satan's number one job is not to get you to drink a beer. Satan's number one job is not to have you do some kind of immoral act. Now, all sin comes from Satan, no doubt about it. But that's not Satan's main concern. What's Satan's number one job? It is to deceive you about true salvation. If you'll remember the story of Satan, he started out as an angel named Lucifer. He was in heaven. He was second only to God. But he wasn't satisfied with being second to God. He wanted to be as powerful as God. He wanted to be worshipped like God. So he rebelled against God to overthrow God. Remember that story? And in his rebellion against God, he was able to convince one-third of all the angels to side with him against God. Now think about that just for a moment. We're talking about angels in heaven. We're talking about angels in the presence of God. We're talking about angels who had seen the glory of God, and yet Lucifer was able to deceive them to follow him. Now, if Satan, Lucifer, can deceive those angels, he can deceive me and you. In the Garden of Eden, remember that? Here were Adam and Eve. They were in a perfect environment. No sin, no sadness, no death, nothing but walking in the cool of the day with God himself. But Satan was able to deceive them. And to get them to sin against God. Now, if Satan can do that, he can deceive you and I. In fact, let me tell you what the Bible says about Satan. In Revelation 20, verse 9, it says, And the devil that deceiveth them. Revelation 12, 9 says, And that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. 2 Corinthians says, Satan hath blinded the minds of them which have not believed. In John 12, 39, it says, they could not believe because their eyes were blinded. See, that's the job of Satan. We're worried about casinos. We're worried about things that in our culture. But really, the main thing that Satan does is he paints, puts up an image of false religion, false salvation to deceive people because Satan doesn't want you to worship the real living and true God. And so we've got to get a hold of this. See, in our Baptist churches today, we've been told this. When I, when I got saved, I was told this. Now, William, don't ever let anybody cause you to doubt your salvation. You write this date down right here when you got saved. If you ever have any doubts, you go back and you look at that date in that Bible. Have you ever heard that before? Well, that's not true at all. What you're doing there is you're putting your faith in a decision and not the conversion of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says Satan is so smooth, he's so slick, he's so good at his job that you need to examine yourself. You need to test yourself. You need to prove yourself. In fact, the Bible says make your calling and election sure. Now, we don't like to do that. We don't like to hear preaching that makes people examine their salvation. They think it's not right to make people question their salvation. But my friend, nothing is farther from the truth. You ought, to, you ought to challenge yourself to look at your life and make sure your life lines up with the Bible. See, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what you say. All that matters is what God says. And God says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Now, what happens when you examine your salvation? 
Do you realize when you hear a sermon saying examine yourself, test yourself, prove yourself, do you realize that nothing but good can come out of that? Did you know that? When you examine yourself, you look at your life from God's point of view, you take the Bible and examine your salvation, one of two things are going to happen. Number one, you examine yourself and you realize, according to the Word of God, I am not saved. Then you can get saved. Or number two, you examine yourself and God, the Holy Spirit, bears witness that you've been saved. But in the process, that Holy Spirit reveals all the sin in your life that's causing you not to have assurance of your salvation. So you can repent and get that assurance from God. But either way, when you examine yourself... There's nothing but good that happens, amen? So today, let's examine ourselves. Let's look at our lives. I want to ask you, do you know for sure if you die today, you'd go to heaven? You know that for sure? Okay, question number two is this. Why do you believe that? What are you basing that on? What are you basing your salvation on? If you had to stand up and give a testimony of, I know I'm saved, what would be your testimony? Now, we sang a song. I'm going to share some things with you in a minute about believing in Jesus and what it really means. Because there's two kinds of belief. You need to make sure you've got the right kind of belief. There's three kinds of faith. You make sure you've got the right kind of faith. There's two kinds of repentance. You've got to make sure you have the right kind of repentance. That's why God says there's a real devil out there. He's trying to deceive you, trick you. Now think about it for a moment. If everybody in Ruston, Louisiana who claims the name of Christ, was really spirit-filled, born of the spirit of the living God, do you not think this place would be a different place? Is that not true? But we have folks, they come to church on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, they live like everybody else. We have young people that come to church on Sunday or Wednesday, and then on Friday and Saturday night, they're living like everybody else. There's got to be more to it, and there is more to salvation than just praying a prayer that does not impact your life and cause you to love God, serve God, obey God, and tell men about God. Salvation is a radical thing, a supernatural thing, and I pray you'll look at your heart. Because, friend, I'm telling you what, this whole world's about to wrap up. We're about to come under great persecution in America, those that claim the name of Christ. You need to know that you know that you know that you know. You need to know better than you know your name that you've been born of the Spirit of God. Now, you've got to hope for heaven. Is there real hope or is there false hope? What would you say makes you a Christian? I've had so many people tell me so many different things. Somebody said, well, man, I've been in church my whole life. I mean, I got baptized. I've been in church. I live a good moral life. And I tell them, none of those things mean you're a Christian. See, you can do everything we do in church and not be born again. You can come down and read your Bible from cover to cover. You can be baptized. You can uh, be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. You can do everything we can do in church and yet not know God in a way that will get you through the gates of glory. So it is a false hope to trust in your religion and your good life and your good works. Uh, I had a woman tell me one time, William, I know that I'm a Christian because I pray... And I get answers to my prayers. Have you ever heard that? William, I've prayed. I I, I pray. I can feel the power of God. I pray. I get answers. So I know that the Spirit of God is with me. Now, friends, I would never put my confidence in my salvation on so-called answered prayers. Number one is you don't know whose prayers are being answered. It might be somebody praying for you, not your prayers at all. But number two is, did you know that God can hear the prayers of a lost man? 
Now, you're a Baptist, so I know what you believe. You know, Baptists have this idea that God only hears the prayers of those who are saved. He doesn't hear the prayers of a lost man. Friend, God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's everywhere. God hears everything, good and bad. He knows everything, good and bad. In fact, God can intervene in a man's life anytime he wants to. Now, God has given his word that he'll answer prayers under certain conditions. But an omnipotent God can intervene at any time in a man's life. In fact, there's a story in the Bible about a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a very religious man, but he was not born again. But he prayed so fervently, one day an angel appeared to him and said, Your prayers have appeared before God as a memorial offering. I don't know for sure that my prayers have ever appeared before God as a memorial offering. But here's this lost man praying so passionately that his prayers appear before God. He sent an angel to Cornelius and he said, there's a man named Peter in this city nearby. You go get him, bring him to your home and he'll show you how to be saved. So the idea that you've had some supernatural experience and you can pray and get answers to those prayers, that is a false hope. That's no guarantee that you've been born again at all. I had a guy say this. I believe in Jesus. Now, we sang that song about I believe in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in God. I believe in all those things. Well, the Bible does say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But you've got to ask yourself a question. Did you believe with your head or with your heart? See, the Bible teaches that the devil believes in Jesus. The devil believes Jesus is God. The devil believes he was born of a virgin. The devil believes that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. The devil believes he was buried in a tomb and raised from the dead. The devil believes all that. But he's not born again. See, to believe with your heart is the Greek word pistuo. P-I-S-T-E-U-O. It means don't just believe information with your head, but surrender your will, your life. Turn away from your rebellion and trust your only hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. So just because you believe information about Christ doesn't mean you're a a Christian. You've got to be born again by the Holy Spirit of the living God. You've got to have a heart belief, not just a head belief. Somebody says, well, I know I'm saved because I called upon the name of the Lord. You know, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. William, I went forward and I prayed and I called on God's name and I asked God to forgive me and save me. And therefore, I know I'm saved. Well, my friends, you need to understand something. You can come down this aisle, kneel at the altar, you can pray a bucket full of tears, you can beg God and beg God and beg God and not get saved. You can ask Christ to come into your heart and not get saved. You can ask for forgiveness and not get forgiveness. See, when it says to call upon the name of the Lord, it does not mean simply to ask God to save you. It's more, call upon the name of the Lord, it's more than that. See, in the Bible... There's a verse that says no one verse is of any private interpretation. It means you can't take one verse out of the Bible and build your whole theology on it. You've got to read the entire Bible and see what it says from cover to cover about salvation. When you study the Bible about salvation, here's what you'll learn. Two things save a man. Repentance and faith. Repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Bible says call upon the name of the Lord, it doesn't mean just come and ask Christ into your heart. It means to call upon him in true repentance and faith. And most folks have never done that because most folks don't understand what repentance and faith is from God's point of view. Somebody said, well, I know I'm saved because I just cried over my sin. 
I mean, I came down and I was just, I was at the altar just crying for the way I had lived my life. Now, I agree that true salvation carries with it what's called godly sorrow for sin. When you really get saved, you have a godly sorrow for, the, for your sin, and that brings about repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance and salvation that cannot be repented of, but the Bible says worldly sorrow leads to death. Now, what's the difference? You come down here and you cry during the invitation time. The question is, why are you crying? If you have a sorrow for sin that is of a worldly nature, you're sorry because of what sin has done to you. You're sorry because you got caught. You're sorry because it hurts your marriage. You're sorry because of what it's done to you. That's called worldly sorrow. It leads to death. But godly sorrow is when you come to a point where you see how you have offended God with your life. Your sin is not against other people. Your sin is against God. And godly sorrow is when you finally come to the realization, I am a rebel against God. My sin is against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever seen yourself as that moral gangster that God declares you to be? Have you ever seen yourself as an anarchist against God, a rebel against God? The Bible says in you dwells no good thing. See, that's the problem with most people. Most people have come to a revival service. They get all excited. You get you a, a young guy that's got a good hairdo and wears tight, tight jeans and tells a few funny stories. And you get all excited and giggling. But the truth is to get saved, you've got to get lost first. And to get lost, you've got to see yourself from God's point of view. It's not enough to want to go to heaven. You've got to come to face to face with the fact that you have sinned against God. And most people have never seen that. Most people have never seen the depravity of the human heart because they've never seen themselves from God's point of view. Here's how God judges you. See, we live in a day where there's a lot of debate about law and grace. We're saved by grace, but the law is what makes grace possible. Did you know that? The law, those Ten Commandments, is God's standard to be like a mirror. So God holds that mirror up, and you can look into that perfect law, and you can see yourself the way God sees you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever seen yourself the way God sees you? Has your heart ever broken for the way you treated God? The Ten Commandments are these. The first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. Have you ever had anything in your life that's been more important to you than God? Then you've broken that very first commandment. In fact, Jesus said you must love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul. Love your neighbors, yourself. The truth is everybody has broken that commandment. The next commandment is you should not take God's name in vain. What a wicked thing for people to use God's name as a curse word. But you don't have to put the word down after God's name to be taking God's name in vain. Just to say God or Jesus or Lord or Christ in any way that's not bringing reverence to God is to take God's name in vain. And we see it all the time. I hear it in churches all the time. Oh, my God. Good Lord. Jesus Christ. Those kind of things are blasphemy against God. And the Bible says if a man takes God's name in vain, that man will not be innocent on the day of judgment. The Bible says you shall not make graven images of God. Now, we don't make graven images with our hands anymore. But what we do in America is we make graven images in our mind. We make a picture of God that's like us. We make a picture of God that likes the things we like and believes the way we believe. And then we think we're okay with God. But my friend, God is holy. I had a lady tell me one time, she said, William, my God is a God of love. He'd never send anybody to hell. I said, well, you're absolutely right. Your God would never send anybody to hell. He can't. He doesn't exist. 
He's a figment of your imagination. The God of the Bible kills people. The God of the Bible is angry with the wicked every day. The God of the Bible has said, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. The Bible says to honor your father and your mother. Have you ever dishonored your parents in your life? Then you've broken that commandment. The Bible says to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The Bible says you shall not lie. Have you ever told a lie? Then you're a liar. You don't have to tell a hundred lies to be a liar. You tell one lie and you're a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? The Bible says you shall not steal. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? No matter how small it was or how long ago it happened? Then you're a thief. Have you ever lusted in your heart? The Bible says if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. You say, well, I'm not married. Well, the Bible says if you're not married and you have sex of any kind, that activity is called fornication. And the Bible says fornicators do not go to heaven. You say, but I'm safe. Fornicators don't go to heaven. Adulterers don't go to heaven. Liars don't go to heaven. See, when you look in the perfect law of God and you see yourself in truth, the Bible says that truth will produce in your heart godly sorrow. You finally see, I'm a rebel against God. I deserve hell. I don't know why God would even save me. I'm so bad. When you get that point where you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, then you can really repent. See, there's two kinds of repentance, true repentance and false repentance. True repentance is when you really see yourself with godly sorrow and you turn away from it. And the Bible says never to turn back. See, a lot of people have a repentance like this. They change their mind. They know that sin's wrong and it's bad, so they change their mind. They stop doing it. But they don't change their heart. They still love it. So when, they, when they're with church people or they're with a youth group, they do pretty good. But when they get off by themselves in dark where nobody sees them, they run back to that sin time and time again because their heart still loves it. See, most people have a false repentance. They want to turn from sin, but they don't want to turn totally away from sin. They just want to do it when they're with a church crowd. I'm just saying, friends, that crying for your sin is not enough unless you've experienced godly sorrow for sin. Have you ever really given God your life? Have you ever come to a point where you just knew, I'm at my wit's end. I've sinned against God. I deserve hell. And then somebody told you how Christ could save your soul. But you had to choose today who you'd serve. It's not about praying a little prayer. It's about turning away from your rebellion. It's about taking Christ as Lord and Savior. It's being born again by the Spirit of God. Now, I preached a long time. And people are always, I did all, I've, I've preached in a lot of different churches, not just Baptist, but it's always interesting to go into other churches. I, I've been into Pentecostal churches and Assembly of God. And people say, well, I know I'm saved, William. I know I'm saved. Woo, that night I got saved, man. It, what an experience that was. I came forward. It was like liquid love all over my body. I could feel the Holy Spirit. I fell out on the floor. I mean, glory to God. It was, I know I'm saved because of that experience. Now, friend, you've got to remember, though, the devil can give experiences. I was at a revival one time, not preaching it, but just attending it. The big Pensacola revival several years ago that lasted for three years. And I saw a girl, teenage girls, supposedly in the spirit, but they were walking around jerking like they were chickens. There was a woman in the church who, who uh, uh, would howl like a wolf. There was another guy that would, had a dog collar around his neck, and a guy was leading him around. Saying, you know, I'm for, I love Jesus. 
I'm just saying, and that you need to challenge that experience and make sure it lines up with the Word of God. Now, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that when I came down on that Thursday night, October 24th, 1983, at the age of 36, when I came forward and prayed that prayer and called on God's name, how do I know that I got the real thing? Three things. Number one, when I stood up, I was a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are done away with. Behold, all things, A-L-L, all things become new. When I stood up, I knew I was saved. I knew I belonged to God. My attitude changed. My attitude about God changed. My attitude about sin changed. I went home and took the wine and the beer I had in my my refrigerator. I poured it out. I got me a Bible, started reading because God became real to me that night. I was changed. So ask yourself, when you came down that aisle, did God radically change you? Did you become a new creature? Did your priorities change? Did your love change? Did your desires change? Did you begin to seek after the things of God? I was changed. But number two is I could no longer enjoy sin. Now don't get me wrong, I can still sin because I've still got this old flesh I'm walking around with. But the difference is when I sin, the power of God comes on me so strong with conviction. Why? Because I belong to God. See, when a person gets truly born of the Spirit of God, God starts working in his life to shape him and mold him to be like Jesus. And when we sin as a Christian, God immediately gets on us and begins to convict us, to chasten us, to scourge us, to draw us back to him. So when I sin, immediately the power of God begins to convict me so strongly, I've got to get away from that mess and get back close to God. So I was changed. I can't enjoy sin. But number three, I can't get away with sin anymore because God judges sin. Why? Because he loves me. And the Bible says if you be without chastisement, if you can sin and God does not chasten you or scourge you, the Bible says don't brag about it. That just means you're illegitimate. You don't belong to God at all. What about you today? I know you can sing good. I've heard you singing. I know you're excited about the service. But do you know God? Go back to that moment in your life you call salvation. Right now in your mind, go back to that point you're calling salvation. What happened? Was it excitement? Was it a thrill? Or did you hear the voice of God? Did God reveal himself to you? Did you see yourself as that moral gangster that God declares you to be? Did you see see yourself as a lawbreaker against God who deserves hell? Did your heart break for the way you treated God? And when you came down, did somebody show you the difference between true repentance and false repentance? Did they show you the difference between dead faith, demonic faith, and saving faith? Did you come down to give up your rights to yourself to God, take up your cross, and follow Him And serve Him and love Him and honor Him and tell other people about Him. Are you born of His Spirit? I have seen Sunday school teachers saved by the thousands. I've seen choir members saved by the thousands. I've seen deacons get saved and deacons' wives get saved and deacons' kids get saved. I've seen preachers' kids get saved, preachers' wives get saved. I've done revivals and had pastors of the church get saved. Our churches are filled up with people who have a form of religion. 
Because in the American church, what, we pre- what is preached in the majority of churches around America, what is accepted in most youth groups, is not true Christianity. It is simply religious humanism. Humanism is a philosophy of the purpose of life is the happiness of man. So what we've done in our churches is we've taken that philosophy of being happy and we've added a little Jesus to it. We've added some scripture verses to it. And it comes down to come to Jesus so your life will be better. Come to Jesus so uh, you know, he can work in your life. Come to Jesus so you can go to heaven one day. But the reason you come to Jesus is because your sin has separated you from God. You are a rebel. You, you stand under condemnation. And one day you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life and you're not ready. And to be reconciled with God, your only hope is Jesus. But you can't take Jesus hanging on to your weapons of war. And that weapon of war is your sin. You've got to put down your sin and stop being a rebel. And you've got to receive Christ, not just to save you, to take you to heaven, but to be your Lord, your God, your boss, your master. And when God sees you serious, he'll do a supernatural work in your life. And I promise you, you'll never be the same when that happens. Oh, my dear friends, I pray today you'll do what the Bible says. You'll examine yourself, test yourself, prove yourself, make your calling and election sure. Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. My dear friend, let me ask you one simple question from my heart to your heart. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? I mean, really, do you know that? Do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Have you examined yourself? Have you gone back to that moment you call salvation? Have you examined it from God's point of view? You say, William, I don't know 100% for sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. In fact, William, I don't know 100% for sure what would happen if I died today. But you say, William, I don't want to die and go to hell. I know that. And I don't want to one day stand before God and find out that I don't have on a wedding garment, that I have a false hope. I want to be born of God. I want to have a supernatural encounter with God. But you say, William, I don't know what to do. What must I do to be saved? My friend, while you've been sitting here listening, if the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart and has revealed to you that you are lost, That is a wonderful thing because you can be saved now that God has revealed that to you. What you must do is repent. That means you've got to change your mind about yourself and your sin. You've got to change your affection. Stop loving that sin. You've got to change your direction. Turn away from that sin. You must repent. The Bible says except you repent, you'll perish. And then you must believe. And that word believe, the Greek word pistuo. You're saying, Jesus, I see you as my only hope. You died for my sin, and I want to trust you. I want to give ownership of my life to you. I want to surrender my will to you. I want to take up my cross and follow you and serve you and honor you and obey you. I want you as my God. The Bible says when we'll open our heart and we'll repent, God will save our soul. It's yours for the asking. In the book of Romans, it says salvation is on your tongue right now. Salvation is as near to you as your tongue right now. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call upon the Lord in true repentance and true faith, God will save your soul right now.
In just a moment, I want to invite you to come and do that. I want to call, invite you to come and repent of your sins. I'm going to call on you to come here and repent and call on the name of the Lord and let Him save your soul. Today can be a glorious day if you'll do that. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. When we stand up and sing, if God has spoken to your heart and God has given you a desire to truly know Him, when we stand up, I want you to slide out of your seat, walk down the aisle, come right here in the front where I'm standing. And let's all pray together. You say, William, why do you want us to do that? I want you to do that because Jesus asked you to. Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. But he warns us, he said, if you won't confess me before men, then I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. He was saying, if you're ashamed of me, then I'm going to be ashamed of you. So by stepping out and coming forward, you're not coming down here to join a church or be a Baptist. You're coming forward and saying, I'm not ashamed to let people know that today I'm repenting. And I'm giving up my will for the will of God. I'm going to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, holding nothing back. If you're serious about truly knowing God, being born of His Spirit, you'll be unashamed and unafraid to come. The way we're going to do it in one minute, we'll stand. When we stand, we'll sing. When we stand up, as soon as your knees straighten out, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and leave your sin. Come forward confessing Christ as Lord and Savior. Give Him the glory beginning today. So let's do it right now. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing, and those that need to come to Christ, you come.